If we have ever run the race, it's time to run it now. The last lap will be the toughest. It's time to run with our might. Nothing else will suffice but be of good cheer, for we will overcome. Any time now, Jesus Christ will return to receive the church unto himself in the clouds, Second Thessalonians, an event commonly known as the rapture. At this moment, the world's wickedness will peak, but immediately after this event, wickedness will shoot through the roof. Those who have come in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ and have neglected or rejected it will be lost without remedy. Second Thessalonians 2, 8 through 12 speaks to this matter. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause... God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The neglectors and rejecters will be given a spirit of strong delusion, and they will believe Satan's lie. Their belief is such that they would pass a lie detector test. If you have yet to make your decision for Jesus Christ, understand that salvation is a limited time offer. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? The only safe place from the impending judgment of God is the place Jesus Christ calls born again, where one is born a literal second time, this time of the Spirit of God. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is the only way of escape. This is the only way to make your peace with the God of all creation. Will today be your day of salvation? Will today be your new beginning where all your sin and shame are washed away? Will today be the day all of Satan's bondages are broken? Will today be the day you are free to believe? Today, truly your soul is in your own hand. Follow me in a simple prompt, and the darkness will end. You will see a great light. Follow me, and the empty and wasted life will end. Your new life will be filled with hope and eternal purpose. Just follow me in this simple prompt. Here it is. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Genesis seven nineteen and 20, And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. God said, John chapter 1, 6 through 9, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. God said, Numbers thirteen thirty three, And there we saw the giants the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight.
Man said, If there is a God, He's a God of love. It doesn't matter if I obey His commandments or not, because His love is unconditional. Right? Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1033, that will once again confirm the perfect supernatural authorship of the Holy Bible. Each of these marvelous features are archived here in text and streaming audio for your edification and as bait for the fishers of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for coming. May God's face shine upon you with light and truth. I don't know the exact percentage, but I suspect it's very high. The pseudo-wise challenge the Word of God, daring anyone to prove it. Prove God! Prove that archaic Bible! Just try it! Really? Are they really looking for truth? Certainly not. Their challenge is a ruse to appear intellectually superior and to cover their nakedness. Many decades ago, a sister asked me if I would talk to a young man, an academic type, who had challenged the idea of God and his inerrant Bible. I told the sister that I would come under one condition. That condition was that after this young man was convinced of the matter, he would then kneel before the God of the Bible and make his peace with his Creator. The young man's answer was, no. In this 46th installment of the God Said, Man Said, Undeniable Proof Every Jot and Every Tittle series, you will see God Proofs 336 to 343. Most of what you will read is lifted from previous God Said, Man Said research. Each proof is a synopsis of the original feature. If you want more in-depth information and references, click on to the subject link. Children of God, relax. God's word stands far above the world's critics. Our childlike faith will not be disappointed. God Proof 336. Biblical history and all of its miraculous accounts are the inerrant truth. They are always correct. Yet academic skeptics in the form of theologians and historians continually scoff at its accuracy. Their foolishness continues to be exposed. Second Kings chapter 23 verse 11. And he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the sun at the entering in of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech the chamberlain, which was in the suburbs, and burned the chariots of the sun with fire. Servant of the king is the title of a subject published in the July-October 2019 issue of Biblical Archaeology. Two paragraphs from that article follow. An impressive new seal impression has been uncovered from the city of David in Jerusalem. Written in Hebrew, the seal impression meaning belonging to Nathan Melech, servant of the king. A figure named Nathan Melech also appears in 2 Kings 23.11. He was one of King Josiah's court officials and he participated in the king's religious reforms. The title Servant of the King appears frequently in the Bible to designate a trusted, high-ranking official. While the title Servant of the King has been found on other artifacts, this discovery marks the first appearance of the name Nathan Melech in an inscription from an archaeological context, end of quote. 
God proof 337, Genesis 1, 6 through 8. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. The unbelievers had two particular challenges in regard to the precious resource water, and they were confident that creationists would be stumped. One, first, if there was a global flood in the days of Noah, as God, God's word declares, then where did the water go? And number two, secondly, where did the earth's water come from in the first place? In the July-August 2020 issue of Discover magazine, a multiple-page feature titled Oceans Beneath the Oceans was published. The article has a subheadline of The water stored in the inner layers of the earth may be more plentiful and important than scientists previously thought. Discover magazine re, uh, re- reviewed research conducted by a geophysicist Stephen Jacobson. Excerpts follow. Early in Jacobson's career, his research advisor was Joseph Smith, a geologist who had demonstrated that a mineral called wasolite could in theory hold significant amounts of water. Wasolite and its relative ringwoodite are the two main components of the transition zone between Earth's upper and lower mantle, about 250 to 410 miles below the surface. When he embarked on his own research in the mid-1990s, Jacobson wanted to know how much water might actually be stored in these abundant minerals. How much water? If the ringwoodite sample is representative, it would mean there's about twice as much water as in all Earth's surface oceans, Jacobson said. Just one of these ocean masses equates to about 1.5 billion billion tons or over 350 billion billion gallons. And the case is far from being closed. Signs of additional water have since been found both above and below the transition zone. We have a, we have one ocean mass in the oceans, another in the upper mantle, explains Jacobson. Let's suppose there are two more in the transition zone. There could be roughly another ocean mass in the crust and lower mantle combined, he estimates, making five ocean masses altogether. Earlier in his career, Jacobson didn't concern himself with where Earth's water came from, a question he said that's been discussed in all the major religious texts, including the Koran and the Old Testament. Jacobson questions the conclusion many astronomers have embraced namely that most of the Earth's water was delivered to the surface by asteroids and comets. Instead, he believes that substantial quantities must have been here since the planet's formation, and that much of the water in our current oceans was squeezed out of rocks from below. What's cool about the whole story is that we used to look to outer space when pondering the origins of Earth's water, Jacobson says, but as we gaze deep inside the planet, A thousand or more kilometers down, we're finding clues from within about the sources of this precious fluid. End of quotes. The water is here where the Bible says it's always been. God proof 338. The coronavirus plague has crippled the earth and ended millions of lives. This is a prime example of a Galatians 6-7 in action. Be not deceived. 
God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It is not possible to disregard and disobey God's word without suffering the curse, which is simply the result of doing the wrong thing. The following information is from the God Said, Man Said feature, the coronavirus. You won't believe it. The list of scripturally prohibited animals, which is substantial, includes Leviticus 11.19, and the stork, their heron after her kind, and the lapwing and the bat. Deuteronomy 14.18, and the stork, and the heron after her kind, and the lapwing and the bat. These creatures are classified as an abomination, and you're directed not to eat them nor to touch their carcass. Science Daily, February 10, 2020. Coronavirus outbreak raises question, why are bat viruses so deadly? The subhead states, bats' fierce immune systems drive viruses to higher virulence, making them deadlier in humans. Several paragraphs from Science Daily follow. It's no coincidence that some of the worst viral disease outbreaks in recent years, SARS, MERS, Ebola, Marburg, and likely the newly arrived 2019 N-COVID virus originated in bats. The subheadline in February 12, 2020 feature on Vox states, Horseshoe bats are known to carry coronavirus, which can infect humans. A few excerpts follow from an interview Vox feature writer Brian Resnick did with Jonathan Epstein. To better understand why health officials want to know which animals were involved in the new outbreak, I called upon Jonathan Epstein. He's a veterinarian and epidemiologist with the Echo Health Alliance who was involved in tracking down the animal source for the SARS outbreak. Question. What do you know right now about where this novel coronavirus came from? Epstein. I think we have very strong evidence that supports the idea that this virus ultimately comes from bats, but we don't know what other animals may have been involved. Question. What do you mean by what other animals may have been involved? Is it possible that this didn't come directly from bats? Epstein. A good example here is the story of SARS. When SARS emerged in 2003, it was also in a live market in southern China and Guangdong. It turned out people that were handling and trading civet, small, mostly nocturnal mammal native to tropical Asia and Africa, had a higher instance of exposure and infection to this virus. Then they tested animals within the markets, and civets were found to be infected with the same virus that was infecting people. So the assumption was made that people were getting it from civets, and civets were very promptly and publicly removed from markets and stamped out. But a very important study came out a few months after the epidemic, looking at civets on farms that supplied the live animal markets, and it turned out that none of the civets that were being farmed had any evidence of exposure or infection to SARS coronavirus. That was important because this was not, in fact, a civet virus that was getting into the markets. Civets were getting infected in the markets themselves, just like people. Resnick asked, so what was giving civet SARS? Was it the bats? Epstein. So this is where I come in and my colleagues. We started working on SARS back in 2003, trying to understand what the wildlife reservoir was, and we found it to be bats, horseshoe bats specifically. We now know that there's a whole group, a whole diversity of viruses related to SARS that are circulating in horseshoe bats. 
one of the viruses we identified with our partners at the Wuhan Institute of Virology back in 2013 is 96% similar to this novel coronavirus. That gives us confidence that this new coronavirus also is a bat virus originally. These bats are hunted and eaten in China and, in fact, were brought into the markets in the case of SARS, and that is how other animals, including people, were infected, end of quotes. Here we go again. Another new global field study is in, and the discovery is that every commandment and precept in God's Word has inherited within it a blessing or curse. Because the Word of God is the supernatural and errant truth, obeying it yields the blessing of doing the right thing. Because the Word of God is the supernatural and errant truth, disobeying it yields the curse of doing the wrong thing. God is not mocked. End of quotes. God Proof 339, Genesis 19:24 through 29. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. Sodom and Gomorrah are back in the news again, and it is highly surprising how unschooled the scholars in the academic community are. It is obvious that their biblical schooling had been neglected. The headline in the December 22, 2018 issue of Science News reads, Meteor may have wiped out ancient Dead Sea cities. Keep in mind as you read the feature that Sodom and Gomorrah were located in the area of the Dead Sea, and the destruction occurred 3,917 years ago. Science News reports, A superheated blast from the skies obliterated cities and farming settlements north of the Dead Sea about 3,700 years ago, preliminary findings suggest. Radiocarbon dating and minerals that instantly crystallized at high temperatures indicate that an airburst caused by an exploding meteor instantly destroyed civilization on a 25-kilometer-wide plain called Middle Gore, said archaeologist Philip Sylvia. The event may have pushed a brine of Dead Sea salts over the farmland. People did not repopulate the area for 600 or 700 years, Sylvia of Trinity Southwest University in Albuquerque reported on November 17 at a meeting of the American Schools of Oriental Research. Excavations at five sites in Jordan indicate that all were occupied for at least 2,500 years until a sudden collapse toward the end of the Bronze Age. Up to about 65,000 people lived in the area when the cosmic calamity hit, Sylvia said. The earliest evidence of destruction caused by a meteor explosion comes from the city of Tal el-Haman. Mud brick walls of nearly all structures suddenly disappeared about 3,700 years ago, leaving only stone foundations. What's more? The outer layers of many pottery pieces from the time show signs of, a, of having melted into glass. 
zircon crystals in those glassy coats formed within one second at very high temperatures, Sylvia said. High force winds created spherical mineral grains that rained down on Tel El Haman and have been found on pottery there, he said, end of quote. According to the highly accredited historian and chronologist Bishop Usher, this event took place in the spring of 1897 B.C. or 3,917 years before this feature was published in 2020. Usher reports the following in his tome, The Annals of the World, published in 1658. Abraham invited angels who looked like traveling men into his house and gave them a feast. These angels reiterated the promise of the birth of Isaac for Sarah's sake. They foretold the judgment of utter destruction which God intended to bring upon the five cities of the plain. Abraham, fearing what would become of Lot and his family in Sodom, made intercession to God for the sparing of that place. Sodom, Gomorrah, Adama, and Zeboam, from their horrible sins, perished by fire and brimstone that rained down upon them from heaven. These cities were to be an example to all wicked men in times to come of the pains of that everlasting fire to be inflicted upon them in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This monument of this, re, of, of this remains uh, to this day, even the Dead Sea. The Valley of Siddim, where these five cities stood in former times, was full of brimstone and salt pits. This has since grown into a vast lake, which because of the brimstone still floating in it is called Lasus Asphaltitus, or Lake of Brimstone, and because of the salt, Mar Salsum, or the Salt Sea. Concerning uh, this, Solinus wrote, A long way off from Jerusalem there lies a woeful spectacle of a country to be seen, which was blasted from heaven and appeared by the blackness of the earth falling all to sinners, cinders. There were in that place before this two cities, one called Sodom and the other Gomorrah, where if an apple grew, though it appeared to be ripe, yet it was not at all edible. Its outer skin contained nothing within it except a stinking smell mingled with ashes, and if ever so slightly touched, sent forth a smoke, and the rest fell into a light dust of powder. End quote. God Proof 340 the earth, all its life forms, and its universe was created by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, Hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. Jesus Christ speaks all things into existence by the word of His Father. An official name for Jesus Christ is revealed in Revelation nineteen thirteen, and His name is called the Word of God. By God's design, all things are fashioned to revolve around His Son. Colossians chapter 1, 16 through 19. For by Him were all things created, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father, that in him should all fullness dwell. Imagine that creation itself is prophetic in nature. A strange grouping of words speaking of Christ is found in John 1, 6 through 9. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, 
The same came for witness, the bare witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Biologists have discovered that when a woman's egg and a man's sperm come together in conception, a flash of light shoots forth, marking the beginning of life. The Bible says of Christ that that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Creation itself is a prophecy, a declaration of Christ himself because of Colossians 1.19, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Let's underscore the word all. God proof 341, Psalms 22, 7 and 8. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. The Christ of Calvary stood before the judgment seats of the Jewish high priest, Caiaphas, King Herod, and Roman governor Pontius Pilate. There he was wrongfully judged and condemned, sent out to be ridiculed, beaten, spat upon, have whiskers plucked from his beard, scourged, mocked, laughed at, and finally crucified on Golgotha's hill. Yes, to much of the world, he was a laughing matter but not to those who love him and embrace his words of life. The lives of those who love him are filled with beauty and promise. Their lives are living testaments to the truth that Jesus Christ brought to the world. It's truly a global field study, and the results are in. Comparing the results of those who embrace the words of God to those who laugh and reject outline just how stark the difference is. A few examples follow. The Situation in the Old Testament, Genesis 17.10, God commands for male children to be circumcised, and now doctors in Africa have discovered that this procedure is their most effective weapon against AIDS because it reduces the infection risk by half. It will save millions of lives. Results of the field study in the camp of the disobedient, those negatively affected, millions of deaths. and the camp of the obedient, those negatively affected, zero. The situation. God commands against the consumption of alcoholic beverages. Results of the field study in the camp of the disobedient, those negatively affected, 13 million Americans are alcoholics. 100,000 alcohol-related deaths are expected this year. In the camp of the obedient, those negatively affected, zero. The situation. God strictly commands against fornication of any kind, including bestiality, premarital sex, adultery, homosexuality, and more. Results of the field study in the camp of the disobedient. In the U.S., those negatively affected, 70 million cases of genital herpes and HPV, 5 million with chlamydia, 1,100,000 with gonorrhea, 1 million with HIV, and 45,000 new cases of AIDS each year, 300,000 with hepatitis B, and 120,000 with syphilis. In the camp of the obedient, those negatively affected, zero, 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 end of quote. But look who's laughing now. Psalms 2, 1 through 4. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine the vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord 
and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, and cut away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. If you are walking in disobedience, turn now and find mercy at the feet of him, the one they laugh to scorn. God proof 342, Numbers 13, verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Giants, could this be true? Are the Bible's approximately 200 references to giants certified true by third-party experts? Do paleontology, archaeology, historical records, and societal accounts all say yes? There can be no reasonable doubt. God said Manset has published several features addressing the subject of giants over the past decade or so. The mysterious giants have risen again, but this time under the title of the Nephilim. The word Nephilim is found in the NIV and other minority text translations, but in the majority text authorized King James Version, the word is correctly translated as giants. In Deuteronomy 3, verse 13, Moses speaks concerning the dividing of part of conquered Canaan among the Israelites, and it reads, And the rest of Gilead, and all Bashan, being the kingdom of Og, gave I unto the half-tribe of Manasseh, all the region of Argob, with all Bashan, which was called the land of the giants. It was the land of the giants. Flavius Josephus, one of the greatest historians of all time, writes the following in chapter 5 of the Antiquities of the Jews. For which reason they removed their camp to Hebron, and when they had taken it, they slew all the inhabitants. There were till then left the race of giants, whose had bodies so large and countenance so entirely different from other men, that they were surprising to the sight and terrible to the hearing. The bones of these men are still shown to this very day, unlike to any credible relations of other men. End of quote. According to the research collected by Deloche, author of the book Giants, you'll find the following. Pliny mentions that in the reign of Claudius, A.D. 41 through 54, a nine-foot, nine-inch giant named Gabarus was brought to Rome from Arabia. Claudius placed him at the head of the famed Adu legions, the giant uh, so awed his troops that some worshipped him as a god. And again, during his principate, Caesar Augustus, 27 B.C. to A.D. 14, assigned two giants who towered over 10 feet tall to lead the Roman armies into battle. On account of this remarkable height, writes Pliny, the bodies of the two giants were preserved in the tomb in Salus Gardens. Their names were Pusio and Secundilla, end of quote. Marzelli, in his book on the Trail of the Nephilim, lists numerous newspaper reports concerning discovery of giants in the Western Hemisphere. A few of the many headlines and excerpts follow. New York Tribune, February 3, 1909. Skeleton, 15 feet high, unearthed in Mexico. News was received here Monday from Mexico that Axtapalapa, a town 10 miles southeast of Mexico City, there had been discovered what was believed to be the skeleton of a prehistoric giant of extraordinary size. A person, while excavating for the foundation of a house on the estate of Augustine Juarez, found the skeleton of a human being that is estimated to have been about 15 feet high and who must have lived ages ago, judging from the ossified state of the bones. The discovery of the skeleton has revived the old Aztec legend that in prehistoric age, 
a race of giants lived in the valley of Anahuk. Scientific American, August 14, 1880, page 106, Ancient American Giants. The Reverend Stephen Bowers notes in the Kansas City Review of Science the opening of an interesting mound in Brush Creek Township, Ohio. The mound was opened by the Historical Society of the township under the immediate supervision of a Dr. J.S. Everhart of Zanesville. It measured 64 by 35 feet at the summit, gradually sloping in every direction and was 8 feet in height. There was found in it a sort of clay coffin, including the skeleton of a woman measuring 8 feet in length. In another grave was found the skeleton of a man and a woman, the former measuring 9 and the later 8 feet in length. In the third grave occurred two other skeletons, male and female, measuring respectively 9 feet 4 inches and 8 feet. Seven other skeletons were found in the mound, the smallest of which measured eight feet, while others reached the enormous length of ten feet, end of quotes. In Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters, a book by Stephen Quayle and Dr. T.R. Harris, you'll find the following concerning giants in the ancient world. As we can see, the ancient world was very familiar with the idea of giants. In fact, as Quail explores in Genesis 6 Giants, even early explorers recorded run-ins with giant beating beings. Interestingly enough, Magellan's fleet encountered giants when they approached Port San Julian. They saw a native giant on the beach waiting for them. Antonio Pigafetta, one of the crewmen with Magellan, described the giant in his latter writings. This man was so tall that our heads scarcely came up to his waist and his voice was like that of a bull. Later in 1578, Sir Francis Drake anchored in the same place and described men well over seven feet tall. Anthony Kinvet visited the same area in 1592 and wrote of men which were 10 to 12 feet tall. In 1615, crewmen from the Dutch schooner Wilhelm Schouten discovered and excavated several skeletons 10 to 11 feet tall. As his logs records in 1764, when Commodore Byron visited the area, he encountered men of a gigantic stature. One of his officers wrote, Some of them are certainly nine feet if they do not exceed it. End of quotes. God said, Giants, and giants there be. God proof number 343, Psalms 1, or Psalms, excuse me, 19, 1 through 3. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Only a fool would look at God's creation and not see his hand. Even as Psalm 14.1 reads, The fool that said in his heart there is no God. Many of the greatest minds of all time have confessed their faith in God. Those include icons like Albert Einstein and Mark Planck, who speak out in Richard Warmbrand's book, Proofs of God's Existence quoted along with a few additional excerpts for your edification. Einstein visited the father of the renowned violinist Yehudi Muhunin, who was then a seven-year-old child, though already a concert artist. In a debate with the father, Einstein contested the existence of God. The child intervened, Mr. Einstein, I will prove his existence. Amused, the great scientist looked at the lad and said, All right, I will listen to you. Yehudi took out his violin and played in his unique, masterly way. When he finished, Einstein said, 
There is a God. If not, how could this child play in such a manner? Einstein later wrote, Cosmic religion is the most powerful and most noble impulse for scientific research. The most beautiful and deepest which man can experience is the sentiment of mystery. He who has not known it appears to me as if dead, or at least blind. The knowledge of the existence of uh, the for us impenetrable of the manifestations of deepest reason and shining beauty, to which our reason can accede, only in its most primitive form, this knowledge and feeling is true religiosity. It is certain that a conviction about the reason and intelligibility of the world akin to religious sentiment is the basis of all finer scientific work. My religiosity consists in a humble admiration for the infinitely superior spirit who reveals himself in the little which we can know of reality with our weak and transitory reason. Regarding the Gospels, Einstein once wrote, No man can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Jesus is too colossal for the pen of the phrasemongers, however artful. Perhaps you would like to know what the great German physicist Max Planck says in his scientific autobiography. He is the author of The Theory of Light. Here are his words. Religion and natural science are fighting a joint battle and an incessant, never-relaxing crusade against skepticism and against dogmatism, against disbelief and against superstition. And the rallying cry in this crusade has always been and always will, will be excuse me, unto God. Eventually, atheists might admit that some scientists are religious, though simply by tradition, and that religion does not really play a significant role in their lives. This is not true. Einstein was an atheist in his youth. By birth, he was a Jew. So his whole upbringing prejudiced him against Christianity. But his scientific achievements made of him a religious man and a great admirer of Jesus Christ. George Gallup, Dean of American Pollsters, once wrote that he could prove God statistically. Take the human body alone, for instance, with its thousands of miles of blood vessels. Would anyone claim that the highway system of the United States arose spontaneously? Yet these blood vessels, with their orderly functions, are far more sophisticated. The claim that this bodily network, not to mention other human systems, just happened? is a statistical monstrosity. Warmbrand goes on to say, In a teaspoon of water, there are approximately as many molecules as there are teaspoons of water in the Atlantic. No man-made computer could calculate how many there are. End of quotes. God is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God's word is true and righteous altogether, a place to build a life that will last forever. God said, Genesis seven nineteen and 20, And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. God said, John 1, 6 through 9, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man 
that cometh into the world. God said, Numbers 13, 33, And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Man said, If there is a God, he is a God of love. It doesn't matter if I obey his commandments or not, because his love is unconditional. Right? Now you have the record.